So this morning we begin our discussion from Bhagavad Gita, its feeling and philosophy, as the manuscript for this new edition of Bhagavad Gita is tentatively named. I completed this edition on the Avirbhav Mahotsavtiti of Advaita Charja, and now it's in the stages of editing and designing. So we're gathered here for the next two weeks to discuss every morning from Bhagavad Gita and every evening from Chaitanya Charitamrita. And with regard to the Gita that we'll be discussing this morning, I wanted to speak each morning such as to give an overview for each of the chapters. Of course, there are 18 chapters in the Bhagavad Gita, and there are only 14 days in two weeks. So, I don't know if we'll be able to discuss all 18 chapters in the 14 days, but if not, we can always extend beyond. For that matter, some of the chapters may take more than two days to discuss. So anyway, the idea of these particular discussions will be an overview of the chapters, so we won't go into much depth, verse by verse, but give a summary. Actually, I intend to, from this edition of Bhagavad Gita, write two other editions as well, one being a summary of each of the 18 chapters like we're going to discuss here in Vrindavan during the course of this Sangha gathering. The other, as I presently envision it, will be a rendering of the verses only of Bhagavad Gita in which I'll take more liberty to include within the translation some of the implications of the text from the Gaudiya Vaishnava point of view a liberty that I did not take in this particular edition, this full edition, wherein I, within the commentary, explained or justified the Gaudiya explanation of the text. I rendered the text in this edition a little more literally. Having done that in this text, then the other edition that I'm intending to write with just the verses in which the import, the Gaudiya import, will be included in the verse itself will, I hope, be acceptable, having given the full explanation in this text, and will be readable and accessible to those who aren't interested in going so deeply into all of the explanations as to why the text means this and implies this and so forth, which is probably a greater number of readers. I met a fellow not so long ago at a store. He was the owner of an art store and I happened to be there purchasing something. And I noticed on his desk he had a picture of the famous Paramahamsa Yogananda. So I asked him what his affiliation with Yogananda was and he said he was a follower of Yogananda for the last 10 years. So we had a brief discussion and in the course of that came up that I was an author and that I was currently writing an edition of Bhagavad Gita. So I mentioned to him that Yogananda had an edition of Bhagavad and I had a copy of that. It's a two-volume edition, quite an elaborate get-up. And he said, oh yeah, it's too technical for me. He said, the Bhagavad Gita is a beautiful poem. I like the poetry. So I derived from that, it confirmed my own sense that most people, even their followers of a particular tradition, here he was a follower of a particular tradition, who's the leader of which, the guru of which, had written an elaborate edition of Bhagavad Gita, but he was not very interested in going through it in great detail. So the majority of the people are certainly of this frame of mind. 
and may benefit from a shorter edition of just the verses. And thus I have that in mind as well. Although I do highly recommend that at least all of my students and close friends will study this initial edition in depth. For me personally, it was very edifying experience. I've related in the preface how I came to think of writing an edition of Bhagavad Gita, and it draws back all the way to the first time that I spoke with Srila Prabhupada, other than his saying, your name is Tripurari Das, at the time he gave me the Harinam initiation. That was during a, the first morning walk that I was able to accompany Srila Prabhupada on. And towards the end of that walk, after discussion at some length about the modern uh, scientific worldview and then a considerable silence, Prabhupada turned to us and he strongly recommended that we write books and through that medium explain in our own language and from within our own cultural context the Gaudiya Vaishnav tradition and establish the position of Krishna's supremacy in the minds of intelligent people, thoughtful people. In response to that, one of my godbrothers responded, but Prabhupada, we will simply distribute your books. And Prabhupada said no, and indicated that he wanted further, that he wanted us to write books as well. And it was pointed out to him at that time that I was there on that morning walk by one of my godbrothers and that I was had gathered a reputation by that time of successfully distributing Prabhupada's books. And so he turned graciously to me and with his glance of mercy he cited from Bhagavad Gita the concluding remarks of Lord Krishna, Sarva Dharman Mamikam Saranam Raja. And furthermore, the remarks just after that wherein Krishna glorifies the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita, the listener, the speaker, and says that no one in this world will be more dear to me than one who speaks the message of Bhagavad Gita to the devotees, who explains it, and never will there be one more dear. So from that I drew, after looking back at that many years later, that perhaps I should write something on Bhagavad Gita. We shouldn't take lightly anything that the spiritual master says to us. Prabhupada himself, his life, was characterized by this sense of taking seriously whatever the guru speaks. He used to say to us that my spiritual master ordered me to come to the West and preach and if you ever get money, print books. But if we look back at the actual context from which Prabhupada drew that, we don't find that Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur actually ordered Prabhupada to go to the West. He did directly tell him at Radhakund here in the Braj, if you ever get money, print books. But in a letter, about two weeks before his passing from the world, in response to Prabhupada's letter to him, wherein Prabhupada asked if I could have any service to your mission, Guru Maharaj. Prabhupada was living outside the Mat, the monastery, as a householder. And in response to that service inquiry, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada wrote to him, that I think it would be good for you if you could preach in the English language. Maybe he said in the West as well, but it was more of a suggestion rather than an order. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur had ordered some of his disciples to go to the West and commissioned them officially to go and preach. But they did not meet with the same success that our Guru Maharaj did. And I think that he personally felt that he took those instructions, those orders, which was a general command in one sense to everybody, but a suggestion, it came in the form of a suggestion to him. The Prabhupada took them very seriously and very much to heart, as if they were an order, and as a result of embracing the spiritual master's words in this way, he was successful, implying that perhaps others didn't take it as seriously. In fact, the first emissary to the West at one point seemed to doubt the relevancy of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the face of modern theories and so forth that he was confronted with didn't happen to our Guru Maharaj. So, in the same spirit, I took Prabhupada's suggestion as 
that I should write an edition of Bhagavad Gita, and thus we have this particular edition. The slant, in one sense, of this edition is that if we are to understand what Krishna is saying in Bhagavad Gita, we will do well to locate Krishna historically or mystically within his divine leela, his divine play manifest here in the material world. And if we can't trace that out historically, which would be difficult in the minds of great devotees, and of all the devotees of Lord Krishna, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas stand out the most. As I've said before, no one flatters Krishna like the Gaudiya Vaishnavas do. They say, Krishna's tu Bhagavan Sayam. Of course, this is found in Bhagavatam, but they are saying this with great emphasis. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And by that they mean that of all the manifestations of the divine, none is as full or complete as Lord Krishna. Even Narayan, who is generally understood to be God and often understood to be the source of all incarnations, is but an incarnation of Krishna. Now this is not to minimize any of the incarnations of Krishna, or in hearing this we should not think materially about one incarnation being better than another. They are all supreme, and the Gaudiya doctrine makes this very clear. In terms of tattva, philosophy, and reality, tattva, they are all God. Ram, Narsingha, Vamana, Narayan, and so forth. At the same time, by closer study, in terms of feeling, sentiment, rasavichar, by analysis of capacity for loving reciprocation, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas have demonstrated from the sacred literature that Krishna is supreme by this angle. So they have much feeling for Krishna. As I say, no one flatters Krishna like the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Others take exception to the flattery of the Gaudiyas for Lord Krishna. But how will Lord Krishna respond to that? It is said that those who love God know God. In fact, this is really the conclusion of Bhagavad Gita. By devotion, You can enter into a compact of love with Krishna only by bhakti. So it means knowing Krishna requires loving Krishna. There's a kind of knowing that's implicit within loving, and that is the highest kind of knowing. So those who love Krishna, which is evidenced by what one will say about Krishna, so those who say so many nice things about Krishna, as the Gaudiyas, more than anyone else, they must have the greatest love for Krishna, and they must know Krishna better than anyone else. This is our particular angle of vision. It's not the kind of fanaticism, but there's some rationale to that. There are many incarnations of God, and the Gaudias have analyzed their purpose and the nature of their descent, the nature of their mission in the world, the type of instructions they give, and so forth. And when we come to Krishna, then we come to the very heart of divinity. So locating Krishna... In his speech to Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, in relation to the entirety of the Leela of Krishna, that will help us to get some idea of what Krishna is actually saying in Bhagavad Gita. The more we know the person who is speaking, the mood that he's in, the time of his life that he's speaking it, to whom he's speaking to, where he's speaking, the better we'll understand what his teaching is all about. In Ujbal Nilmani of Srila Rupa Goswami, our Acharya has described the hero, Nayaka. Rupa Goswami, as you may know, has described the absolute truth through a informative 
structure of Indian aesthetics, drama, the arts, poetry, the work of Bharat, and such works as Sahitya Darpanam of Vishwanath Kaviraj, and so many others. There's a great wealth of such literature explaining the, the kind of the rules of poetry and in that we find description of different types of heroes, lovers, male lovers, and heroines. And in Ujjwal Nilamani, Rupa Goswami has drawn from there to describe the ideal hero of his book, Ujjwal Nilmani, which is about transcendental conjugal love. He explains there are four basic hero types, Dhirudhata, Dhirlalita, Dhiraprashanta, and Dhirudhata. The Dhirudhata is best exemplified in Ram, Raghupati Ram, Ramchandra, the noble hero, ideal king, who always shows proper respect. The classic example of the Dhirlalita is Cupid, and of course the transcendental Cupid, Krishna, playful lover, Casanova, who is subjugated by his beloved. The Dira Prashanta is exemplified best in Yudhisthira Maharaj, whose life is based on precept. And the Dira Dutta then is best exemplified by Bhima, one of the five Pandavas, who would get angry and is boastful and so on. And Rupa Goswami teaches that these four hero types are manifest in three places. In Dwarkapuri, in Mathura, and in Vrindavan. This is in relation to Krishna, the ideal hero. It means that we can find all four types manifest in all three of these places. Krishna is a complex person. In other words, of all of the heroes, hero types, of which there are 96, Krishna is all of them at the same time. And at different times he shows himself to be exhibiting this type of hero personality, that type of personality, different shades and so forth. So Rupa Goswami explains this in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and further in Ujjval Nilmani to help us locate Krishna and understand when Krishna is speaking in different places, why he's speaking, what is his mood, what type of personality type he's exhibiting and so forth. In Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami explains these four hero types in terms of explaining the Vishayalambana, the object of love, for entering into loving exchange, Rasananda, aesthetic rapture, one has to have an object of love. So the perfect object of love is Krishna, and he's varied. So the more we understand his personality, when we read the texts in which Krishna's life is described, the more we can understand what's going on there. So four hero types, and manifest in three places, in a gradation of excellence. In Dwarka, Krishna is Purna, perfect. In Mathura, he's Purnatara, more perfect. And in Vrindavan, he's Purnottama, most perfect. These four hero types manifest over three places, makes twelve. And according to the poetic language, of the twelve types, there are two divisions. Rupa Goswami is giving these twelve types and two divisions. Pati and Upapati means a married hero and an unmarried hero. So that makes then 24 hero types that Krishna exhibits. And then the 24 are also classified into four different divisions. The favorable lover or hero, the impartial lover, the deceitful one, and the shameless one. So the favorable one is one who's faithful to one lady, one heroine. The impartial one is one who keeps many and is impartial to them all, has no one particular, shows no one particular favorite. 
And the deceitful is one who says one thing to his lover and behind her back he says something else. And the shameless is he who, even when it's obvious by various signs that he has been unfaithful, he denies it anyway. So this altogether makes 96 types of heroes. And the implication of Rupa Goswami's writing is that Krishna exhibits all of these different personality types somewhere at different times and different places in the Leela. So what kind of Krishna, what kind of personality type do we find in Bhagavad Gita? So in a basic sense, we find that the Krishna of Braja, at this time in the Leela, has left Vrindavan. He's killed Kangsa, and to protect the inhabitants of Braj from the attacks of Jarasandha, he has gone to Dwarka and set up a city there from which to fight with Jarasand and along with his armies establish the principles of Dharma. This Dwarkesh Krishna is the speaker of Bhagavad Gita and in terms of hero types he is the Dira Prashanta, ruled by precept and he teaches Arjun so many wonderful spiritual Upanishadic type precepts of the Bhagavad Gita. But these are ultimately precepts leading to love and the highest love, love of God as exhibited in Braj, the kind of love that Sri Radha exhibits for Krishna. At this time when Bhagavad Gita is spoken, Krishna of Dwarka, the dear Prashanta Krishna, who is speaking Bhagavad Gita, has stepped on the battlefield of Kurukshetra now for the second time. This is in the latter part of Krishna's Leela, which manifests for about 125 years. It's very near the end of that. So many enemies of the Dharma have been removed from the face of the earth by Lord Krishna. In that, he took some help here and there from his elder brother, Baldev. And now as the Kurukshetra war is coming to a head, Krishna will speak Bhagavad Gita and then the last of the demonic elements will be done away with through the help of Krishna's dearmost friend, Arjuna. Arjuna is a friend of Krishna and his particular relationship is called Purasambandi. means he's a friend of Krishna in the city. He's a city buddy of Krishna as opposed to the country friends of Krishna in the Braj, whose relationship is more intimate with Krishna, who is the Krishna of Braj, rather than the Krishna of Dwarka. Krishna of Dwarka is, of course, the uh, city Krishna, more sophisticated, cultured. So Arjuna as the Purisambandi, he is the best of the city friends of Krishna, and his relationship with Krishna is one of friendship and servitude. So he exemplifies the ideal disciple. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the disciple is to think of the guru affectionately and serve him affectionately, such that his servitude borders friendliness. True friendliness can only be exchanged between equals, according to the knowers of rasa and poetry. But the relationship in Gaudiya Vaishnavism between guru and disciple is one of servitude bordering on friendship. And furthermore, as he is a servant of Krishna, the disciple, so Gurudev is also a servant. Sridhar Maharaj beautifully used to say, we are all students forever. It is said in the Upanishads that one who says he knows Brahman does not know Brahman. But one who says he does not know Brahman he knows Brahman. It means that the closer that the finite soul comes to the infinite, the more his sense of being finite becomes apparent. And thus he thinks, as close as he is to the infinite, he thinks, I know nothing about the infinite. So Arjuna is the perfect disciple, and Krishna is the perfect master, friendly teacher. And so in Bhagavad Gita, there is much to be learned about this relationship. And the discussion that ensues between the two is 
very instructive for all devotees. It is a beginning book, Bhagavad Gita, but it is complete in its teaching and therefore the end is also found there. The highest ideal and the most basic teaching. Although in other Gaudiya texts, the higher ideal may be stressed more, or in the Bhagavatam it may be brought out more, and the more basic tenets, although contained there as well, are not the emphasis. All of the texts, in a sense, are complete. Bhagavad Gita merely has more emphasis on the basic, but the highest ideal, the end, is also found there. Implied, indicated, and drawn out by the Gaudiya Vaishnava charges. And what do they draw from there? They draw ultimately the Braj Bhakti and the love of Radha for Krishna, which is the highest ideal in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So in our particular edition, we've tried to demonstrate the justification for their doing so. Ultimately, although we may say many things about that, it is their bhava, their feeling. And although someone may object that you are projecting your feeling onto it and not giving us the objective understanding of the text, the purport of the entire Gita is to get this feeling, to somehow or other get this feeling and be ruled by it. We are not to read Bhagavad Gita and and not change. In the first chapter, we are brought to remember Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's instruction on Bhagavad Gita. What did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tell us? Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami records the tour of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in South India. And there it is mentioned that he met one Brahman at Chetra, who was daily coming to the temple and reciting Bhagavad Gita. Eighteen chapters although his pronunciation was not very good, and he admitted to Mahaprabhu himself, Sabartha Janina Amimurka. I'm a fool and Sabartha Janina. The meaning of the Shabda, the art of the Shabda Janina, I don't know. I don't know the meaning of the words. I'm a fool. And therefore people readily criticize me and make fun of me. But still I attempt to read Bhagavad Gita every day, 18 chapters, as I've been instructed by my Gurudev. While he was saying he was a fool and he didn't know anything, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu observed something else. Pulakashu patan. Whenever he read Bhagavad Gita, Pulakashu Kampusvedha, all these changes occurred in him. But they said, we are to read the text and change. And this brahmana, an illiterate brahmana, was changing to the extent to which we want to change. That is evidence of really understanding the text of Bhagavad Gita. Kampashrupulakadaya. All these astasattvikavikar, transformations of ecstasy, were apparent in his person, manifesting on his body. Tears and hair standing on him and trembling in the voice. This kind of change we want. Bhagavatam says, Tarashma sharayam bathedam yadgrihamanar harinamadhyayai. The heart is like the stone, steel framed. Which heart? That heart which, even though repeatedly, harinamadhyayai, chanting the holy name of Krishna, doesn't change. And what is the example, Sutta Goswami says, of that change? Vikar kampashupulakadaya. Transformations of ecstasy. As I've said before, we are not even prepared, although we consider ourselves Gaudiya Vaishnavas, to move our body such, just to bend down humbly. I remember being very moved by Ujjapad Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj in his old age, exceeding 100 years, infirmed, unable to walk on his own. When I first met him here in Mathura, although I had met him previously in Sri Chaitanya Saraswatmat in Navadweep, he used to come yearly to give the discourse in glorification of Srila Sridhar Maharaj on his Vyasa Puja. But I met him later, years later, after Sridhar Maharaj's disappearance here in Vrindavan, and he used to go and daily pay darshan to the deity and circumambulate. And I was thinking, in such old age, with such difficulty, he's making this effort. And we are in such a hurry to get on with our life, 
and life that we think of as service, but for expediency's sake, we don't take the time to bow down before the Lord. And in his old age, he was taking such effort. I was moved by that. We are not prepared to just bow our head. Even though Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given this mandate to all of us, that our lives should be guided by this. Kaviraj Krishnadas Goswami says, you should take this verse of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from Shikshastakam and wear it around your neck as a garland while chanting the holy name of Krishna. The implication is it's a very heavy verse and we will chant with a bowed head. If we cannot bow like this and cultivate this kind of humility, then we cannot expect these other type of changes and transformations within our body to manifest that are evidence of truly understanding, realizing the import of Bhagavad Gita. So Mahaprabhu said, you? He was very pleased. He saw this transformation of ecstasy. He was very pleased. In his heart, he got great ananda, joy. Then he asked him, what is it in Bhagavad Gita that you're reading that makes you feel like this? Then he said, I don't know the meaning, but whenever I think, we come to this verse in Bhagavad Gita. First chapter begins, of course, on Kurukshetra. The scene is set. Dhritarashtra speaks. He asks Sanjay, what did his sons and the sons of Pandu do on the battlefield of Kurukshetra where they were assembled for what amounted to a fratricidal war? Bhagavad Gita is one chapter in Mahabharata. And by this point, Vyas, the author of the Mahabharata, has us on the edge of our seats. It's all building up and is now huge war. So many people have been introduced and we're moved by all of their characters, both the evil ones and the noble ones. So consuming in a novel type of format of romance and political intrigue, Vyas has tried to deliver us the Upanishadic wisdom and the ultimate truth. And at this point in the text, Mahabharata, if we read, we'll be on the edge of our seat. The battle is about to start, and who will win? All the great persons that have been introduced are involved. And now this conversation takes place, prefacing the battle. Arjun is to question Krishna. Dhritarashtra, the king, in his palace, blind, asks the mystic Sanjay, who is blessed by Vyas, to know everything that went on on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, even the minds of the participants. Dhritarashtra is asking him what took place, although they're at a distance from the place. Through mystic power in his heart, Vyas could see what was going on and know what was being thought. Dhritarashtra is asking him and Sanjay will respond. And we should be on the edge of our seats. Vyas has expertly gathered the attention of his whole audience. Now, for the most important part of the whole book, what gives the whole book of Dharma, Mahabharat meaning. Dharma should take us to knowledge of the soul, and knowledge of the soul taken to its fullest should take us to bhakti and love of Krishna in the prema dharma of Braj. So Dhritarashtra asks, what happened? What's happening? What's going to happen? And Sanjaya begins to speak. He tells of Duryodhan, the son, principal son of Dhritarashtra, and what he does. First in verses 3 to Six, he describes the enemy led by Yudhisthira, on which side is Arjun. He assesses them. If we are to enter into spiritual life, we should assess what we're up against. It's not such an easy thing to advance in spiritual life. We hear about Mahaprabhu's mission, and it's simply chanting and dancing. So we think, I'll enter in and just chant and dance. We used to go on Sankirtan in our the time of our Guru Maharaj, and we found that there were many difficulties, <laughs> much opposition we had to meet with. It was not simply chanting and dancing in one sense. So, much to deal with within the mind, much to deal with in trying to render service steadily. So many bodily inconveniences we'll have to meet with, rise early and endure the elements and so forth. And again, as I say, the demons of the mind are there. So we should assess the enemy. Duryodhan, he is assessing the enemy. And then 7 to 10, he discusses 
his own troops, trying to give encouragement to his own men who are fighting a losing battle. In his own speech, he says, and my men are ready to lay down their lives for me. Commentators have said, and Goddess Saraswati incarnated on his tongue. He told the truth. They will all die. And Krishna revealed it in the 11th canto, showing it to Arjuna. They are all dying, being consumed by me. Kalrupa, my form of time. Then Duryodhana mentions Bhishma in the course of discussing those on his side and indicates that everyone should rally around him. He's the most formidable on our side. And in response to the glorification of Bhishma by Duryodhana, Bhishma blows his conch. And other conches begin to blow. And then Madhava. For the first time, Krishna is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. Madhava. And Dhananjai. Arjun, winner of wealth. They blow their conch shells. Madhava is a very nice name for Krishna. This is the first name of Krishna mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. So he's introduced as Madhava. Oftentimes the name Madhava is rendered husband of the goddess of fortune. So it implies that because Arjuna is on the side of Madhava, Arjuna will be fortunate. He will be successful. Luck is with him. Luck is with him. And it will be his good fortune that he will understand the doctrine of love that is Bhagavad Gita. From this first name, Madhava, we can understand it is a doctrine of love, Sanjay is telling us. Wherever there is Madhava, there must be the goddess of fortune. So inside the name of Madhava, Radha is also present. And Madhava comes from the root Mad. Mad means also Madhu, honey, so sweet. Madhava means springtime, the season of love. And Madhava means Madha, madness, passion of intoxication. And this is what characterizes the love of Sri Chaitanya. A madness of intoxication that is sweet, sweet, sweet. Krishna Kaviraj Goswami says, All the different relationships in aesthetic rapture with Krishna, Shanta, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya and Sringar, as they are technically called in poetic language, are perfect, absolute. But if we look objectively at all of them, the Sringar Ras is the best, nonetheless, best of the best. Therefore, I call it Madhurdya, sweet. This is the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. Stress on Madhava, Madhurdya, Krishna, the sweet human-like Krishna of Braj, who falls in love with gopis and Radha, conquered by their love. Madhava is introduced. And in the next verse, Dhananjai. Dhananjai is, means winner of wealth. So it implies... Arjun will win the wealth of Krishna's instruction. And inside his message, his instructions, he will understand the deepest implications. In our Gaudi tradition is considered that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself. Not an avatar, but avatari, the source of avatars. And they have shown these Gaudiya Vaishnavas the parallel between Krishna Lila and Gorlila. Many people say that their guru is Krishna or this one is Krishna, that one is Krishna, but only the Godias know Krishna truly. And therefore they reasoned Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna and if Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, then Krishna's associates must be here. And there must be some parallel because this is Krishna himself, not an avatar of Krishna, but Krishna himself between this Leela, Gorlila, and Krishna Leela. And they've shown it such sense about Krishna that they have, they would think to do so. They would think, if Krishna himself, Swayam Bhagavan, is here, Radha must be here. Nanda, Jasoda, Subal, Sridham, everybody must be here. Krishna's not without them. Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. And they found all those people to be themselves. And they wrote about it. Krishna, Kaviraj, Goswami, and others in the succession. What about Arjuna? In Krishna Lila, Kavikarnapur says, in Gaur Lila, Arjuna came as Rai Ramananda. 
Mahaprabhu says in Chaitanya Charitamrita, I accept the father of Roy Ramananda and his four brothers as Pandu. And the implication is that amongst the five brothers, the Pandavas, then Arjun, one of them. And Goragona Deshtipika, as I say, elaborates further. Ramananda Roy is Arjun. So, if Arjun is in Gorlila and Krishna is there, Bhagavad Gita must be there also. So where do we find Bhagavad Gita spoken in Gorlila? In Ramananda Samvad. The conversation between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy. How is Bhagavad Gita there? Because in that conversation we find the development of theistic thought is discussed. From the beginning stage, Varnashram, ordinary religious life, all the way to Radha Dasyam and the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. Who is the speaker? Rai Ramananda. Who is the listener? Mahaprabhu. Rai Ramananda considered, actually Krishna, Mahaprabhu, you are speaking this through me, playing me like an instrument. Nimita matram babasavisachin in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, just become my nimitta, my instrument. And making a sweet sound in Ramananda Samvad, Arjun reiterates the real essence of Bhagavad Gita. He understood it, Dhananjai. He won the wealth of the meaning of Bhagavad Gita, and it is brought out in Gorlila. Having introduced the two principal characters in such a wonderful way, Krishna and Arjuna, although Arjuna is mentioned by Duryodhana previously, he's more further introduced in the context of the blowing of the conch shells, Madhava and Dhananjai, and then we come to this verse of Bhagavad Gita that Mahaprabhu heard from the Brahman in South India was what he considered the essence of Bhagavad Gita, what caused him to undergo all those changes, transformations of ecstasy that Mahaprabhu acknowledged, got great joy from, and was drawn to by. Arjun commands Krishna. That Brahman said, Whenever I think, I cannot read. Really, I cannot pronounce the words. I really don't know the meaning. But whenever I hold this Bhagavad Gita in my hand and I try to carry out the instruction of my guru to read 18 chapters, what comes to my mind is the beautiful picture of Krishna sitting as the chariot driver of Partha, Partha Sarati, the chariot driver of Arjun. Krishna has taken this position as chariot driver. And Arjun is saying, Hey, Krishna, go. Drive the chariot up between the two armies and let's see who's assembled here. Like, hey, rickshaw, rickshaw. When I see, he said, in my mind's eye, Krishna, seated on the chariot of Arjun and instructing him in this way in Bhagavad Gita. Then all these changes come about in me. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he said what? You have eligibility for understanding Bhagavad Gita. He told him, you are the real Acharya of Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is to be studied for the purpose of bringing about a change in your life, a solution to the problem of your life, a big change, a categorical change from material consciousness to spiritual consciousness. And when in the context of spiritual consciousness, through the Gaudiya Vaishnav explanation of Bhagavad Gita, we get the opportunity to reach to the zenith of theistic thought. Bhagavad Gita chapter 1 is called Vishada Yoga. It means the yoga of sorrow, melancholy, depression. Arjuna is in a depressed state. That will come now after this text 21 to 23. He asks, orders really Krishna, drive my chariot. It means what? Krishna has become conquered by Arjuna's love. This is the real secret of Bhagavad Gita. He's willing to be the chariot driver of his devotee. He's the supreme being. It is shown in so many places in Bhagavad Gita. He reveals it himself personally, practically in the 11th chapter. 
but he's driving Arjun's chariot, dealing with him like an intimate friend. This causes the heart to change. God does this, this Krishna. You find that essence of Bhagavad Gita, the full implication of Bhagavad Gita, right in the first chapter, just as Krishna and Arjuna are introduced. And then the sorrow of Arjuna comes. He sees the armies on either side. Krishna drives the chariot up and there is he brings him right in front of Bhima and, Bhishma and uh, Drona, the dearmost of Arjuna, his grandfather, his teacher, military guru. And with a bit of a smile on his face, Krishna says, here they are. Here's the armies. Take a look. This is what you're up against. And he goes into depression. I have to fight with my friends. What will be the implication of this? What will become of the society? What about Dharma? How can I engage in this battle? He wants to desist. Great depression overcomes Arjun. We have to be a little depressed about our material condition. If we look closely at it, we'll be a little depressed. What is that? Friends will not endure. And often friends will become enemies. In this plane of experience, you cannot rely upon anything. That which Arjuna relied upon, it is revealed in Bhagavad Gita, he could not rely upon. Relying on that causes depression. We'll be disappointed. So if we can have the vision ahead of time, by good company, by good instruction, as to the real nature of the material experience. Depressing. That is our perspective on existence that we call material. If we can get insight into the nature of that and not really move away from it, but move into the bigger picture of what it really is, then we can learn to love the world, see the world as unlimited opportunities presenting themselves to us to satisfy the transcendental senses of Rishikesh Krishna. After Krishna is described as Madhava. In the next verse when Dhananjaya is mentioned, Panchajana Rishikesho Dhananjaya. Madhava is a god of love, springtime, madurja, sweet, and conjugal love. The love of Radha and Krishna, the sweetest and the highest. As Krishna is introduced in this way, in the very next verse, he's described as Rishikesh. The implication being that in order to access that love, to understand that, you have to master your senses. To win the wealth, like Dhananjaya, of this Braj Prem, you have to conquer the senses. This is the beginning and end, <laughs> all in one. So when we understand the distressful nature of a life, in which our very being is conquered by the senses in connection with the object of the senses, and we who have a life that is spiritual and of the nature of love have become involved in something that is comparatively like no life at all, like imprisonment. The freedom of love is not found in the sensual realm. When we are conquered by sense objects, controlled by mind and senses. So, Rishikesha, we'll call on him to understand him as Madhava. In our distress, like Arjun, is Vishada Yoga. So, from this distress, out of this is arising something very wonderful. It means we have to be a little bit disappointed about the prospect of fulfilling our pursuit of love in relation to sense objects. See, that means those sense objects for what they are. And when we see them for what they are, initially, we move back from them because I'm spirit, they are matter, I endure, they do not, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. But when we, from drawing back further, see them in relation to the Supreme Lord, we come to Yukta Bairagyam of Rupa Goswami, Nirbandha Krishna Sambandha Yukta Vairagya And we find the proper utilization of all so-called material things. They have application in the service of the Lord. In fact, this is their real position. 
matter, material objects, we should excavate their connection with their spiritual origins, the personality of God, and then know how to utilize them. Then the world becomes a friendly place. Godi Vaishnavism is not about leaving the world, it's about entering into the world for what it really means, what it's really about. And in doing so, with a Krishna-centered life, then it's possible to have love in every respect, in every direction. This is the Brudge conception. Everyone is attached to one another there, based on attachment to Krishna. Mother loves Krishna more than her own son. Son loves Krishna more than his own mother. Both agree. Families can stay together if this principle is in place. And so the whole of the Braj Leela, which is a, and the Dham, which is really a manifestation of the highest love, the highest love expressing itself, looks like something mundane. Cowherds, people, uneducated for that matter, the low end of material life, uneducated country people, they don't have education, knowledge, how the world works, backwards people, attached to one another in their own land, keepers of animals. And this is the ideal of the highest spirituality. So we have to look within that. And through Bhagavad Gita we can get the eyes to see. We can come to this concept of yukta vairagya and find a kind of spiritual humanism to become fully human and fully spiritual. This is the idea of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and this is what Bhagavad Gita points to. So from seeing the armies, Arjuna enters into distress. And that distress presents the opportunity for Krishna to speak and enlighten him about the nature of material existence. This is a summary of the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Simon Bhagavad Gita ki jai.